Thank you for listening to Christ Alone Podcast, where we believe that Jesus lived, died, and resurrected according to the scriptures. Our hope is that God can bless you through this week's episode. All right, welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Christ Alone Podcast. Uh, my sister's not here today. Um, she had to work late, and so we tried to record yesterday, but we couldn't. And then we said, all right, tomorrow, and tomorrow came, and uh, now we are here. Um, so she had to work late. She couldn't make it. So this will just be a bonus episode for you guys. Um, she'll be back in like two days, and we'll record another one um, for this week. So you guys will get that. And uh, hopefully it'll bless you. Um, thank you again for tuning in. And so I'm just going to do a quick prayer. Uh, Father God, I want to, first of all, honor you and glorify you, Father God, because you are holy. I ask, Father God, that the Holy Spirit come down on me and use me, Father God, that it's not me who's speaking, that it's not my understanding that is being vocalized, Father God, that it is you that is the Holy Spirit moving and vocalizing whatever it is that you want to tell us today, Father God. I ask that you bless every single person that can hear my voice, Father God, whether it's now or the, the later on, Father God, whenever it is that they're listening to this, that you may bless them, Father God. And thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to be here today, um, for my health, for the health of the listeners. And whatever it is that the listeners are going through, Father God, that you may give them comfort and let them know, Father God, that you are there for them. If any of the listeners, Father God, um, has, has not been had their hearts softened, Father God, I ask that you soften their hearts today, Father God, and that you may show them, Father God, so that they can see the truth that is Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, moving on. So, um, I really, normally my sister and I have a conversation about what we're going to talk about, and then we talk about it, and today I, you know, I really expected to have that conversation with her, but uh, nevertheless, I'm here, and so um, something that I just feel in my heart to talk about, it's something that, you know, I'm very um, passionate and excited about. Um, you guys have heard me mention it before. Um, you know, I'm going to talk about the rapture. I'm going to talk about um, the return of Jesus. Um, why that's such an important thing to talk about. Um, so, so when I, back in 2020, when I first, you know, um, if you guys remember, I, March of 2020, God shook me and was like, listen, <laughs> You know, uh, I felt like God was telling me, listen, this is the last time I'm going to get your attention. So get with the program because I'm coming back soon. And this is it. This is the last time I'm getting your attention. So um, I got my act together and, you know, um, reestablished my relationship uh, with God. And and really, I wouldn't say reestablished, but I would say refounded or I don't know, whatever stronger word there is for that, um, because I had been living my entire life, you know, saying that I was a Christian and not actually 
ever really living like one. Um, so, you know, it wasn't up until March 2020 um, where I saw that God was pretty much shaking the fence. And, you know, anybody that was on the fence with him um, was either, you know, getting shook off to the opposite side or to his side. And so, you know, that's when I realized, all right, I got to get on the right side of the fence here. Um, and I, you know, I had been praying forever for God to use me, um, you know, and I officially, I guess, submitted to God's will. Um, I have always wanted that, but I, I guess not really because it hadn't happened. And so, you know, it was a process that God was taking me through. And so, um, you know, the only regret I have is that I didn't come to God sooner and in repentance, in true repentance, because I always had my moments of repentance, but it wasn't continual. And so, you know, now I'm in a place where I've always wanted to be with God. And of course, there's always room for improvement. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm consistent, I'm consistent. And so, uh, even, I guess, even when I'm not consistent, I'm being consistent in the sense that God is always on my mind in one way, shape or another. If I'm not trying to do something for him, I am praying and apologizing for not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, because the life of a disciple really um doesn't it doesn't get easier necessarily um but it does get better so um you know just know that the closer you grow to god the more that the enemy will attack you um and so just uh you know remain in the lord and you'll be all right so that's what i've been doing and so when i first got you know um i just got saved officially i guess I guess you can call it that. When I officially got saved March of 2020, um, I just really, really took a deep dive into eschatology, the which is the end times, the study of end times. And so I was like, all right, well, you know, Revelation had always been a book that was seemingly scary to me, right? Because of all the bad stuff that happened. Um, but it wasn't until I read it and started really like praying and reading uh all through it and just just taking like just following the word wherever the holy spirit was taking me um that's when i was like all right um i didn't even know i mean up until that point i didn't even know that there were different positions on you know uh the rapture the second coming the millennium and all this stuff and so i'm not gonna get into like the real heavy heavy stuff about you know uh the millennial kingdom which would make some people premillennialist postmillennialist amillennialist um i'm not going to get into that um because that's probably a little bit more complicated than what it needs to be um my purpose today is to just talk about the return of jesus in general so not even really uh, yes i'm going to talk about the the rapture but i might touch on the second coming and how those may or may not sound the same um you know depending on what scripture you're, you're reading and so basically um the overview is that you know as christians we believe that jesus lived that um that he died that he was buried 
um, that on the third day, as it was written in the scriptures hundreds of years before, um, he resurrected, and so uh, and then he ascended into heaven. Um, but but the, but it doesn't stop there. Like that's the gospel. But but you know the I guess the extended version of the gospel is that Jesus will one day return. Um, you know, and one of the last things that Jesus said to the disciples before his ascension was go out and make disciples of all the nations. And so, um, I think we've talked about that before where, um, you know, Jesus didn't say go out and make believers. A believer is not necessarily a disciple, but a disciple by definition is a believer. And so, uh, what I mean by that is that you know, um, I've always said, like I like like I just mentioned, I always believed in God, but I wasn't a disciple um, of God. I wasn't a disciple of Jesus, because yeah, I believed in Him, but that didn't mean anything. I mean, <laughs> I believe in um, in gravity and space and all that, and that doesn't make me a physicist or an astrophysicist. Um, I believe in Satan, so but that doesn't make me a Satanist either. And so, you know, it wasn't until I understood what this meant that I was like, all right, I was not really a Christian. Um, I said I was, but I never really um, lived like one. And that's what I mean. So discipleship, you are by default a Christian. Um, you are a believer because, uh, you know, you are in discipleship means you're in relationship and you're under uh, the direct discipleship of the Lord. And so that means you're obedient, you're trying to be obedient, you're working on your obedience, you're working on, you know, getting to know him, you're working on um, sharing the gospel of the kingdom with, you know, you know, with people when you have the opportunity, you're, you're working on, you know, on yourself really in relationship with the Lord. And so that's what discipleship really means. Um, so, so that's where I'm at now. And so, and so Jesus return is an extension of the gospel because Jesus, oh, like talked about it a lot. He's like, listen, I, you know, I'm going to come back. If you read through, uh, Matthew 24, if you read through Luke 21, and if you leave, look, uh, read through, uh, uh, Mark 13, uh, it's, it's all that it's just it's all of of jesus return that's what he's talking about um and so um i might touch on some of those verses um but uh i'm going to start with the rapture because that is you know um, from scripture that is the next thing um you know um there's been a lot of you know, we always talk about prophecy unfolding before our very eyes, and and what we mean by that is that the stage is being set, um, um, because um, there's really the the only prophecy that's going to be fulfilled next is going to be the rapture or the you know the uh, snatching away of the church, and then I'm going to explain why I believe that. Um, there are some people that say that no, the rapture happens during the tribulation. Um, there are people that say, no, the, there, there's no rapture until the end of the tribulation. Um, and I might explain why that doesn't make sense. Um, 
or maybe not because I might be here for a couple of hours just talking about it, which I don't mind, but I right now I don't have that time. So, um let me just start I guess let me just start with the rapture the way I believe it and explain that as best I can and then I'll just I'll just explain why uh any other position uh would not make sense and there there would just be more questions that I would have. So, uh I mean, also there's some people out there that be- believe that there isn't even a rapture that's supposed to happen. Um so um yeah, I don't I'm not I don't understand that very well yet. Um why people are believing that but a large portion of Christians um don't believe in that. So so the rapture um verse, I guess you can call it, is uh is in 1 Thessalonians uh chapter 4 verse 17. Um but I'm going to start at 15. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm gonna start at 13, um, because just to give you guys a little bit of context, because the reason that Paul was writing to the Thessalonians was because they were, they were idle. They were like, they almost like given up in the sense that, oh, wow. They thought that because there was rumors and letters, uh, forged letters going around saying that know that Jesus his return had already happened and that they pretty much missed the missed the boat on that and so now the they were concerned for their friends and family that were dying they're like wait a second if Jesus already came then what about the people who die like what's what's up with them like what happened like they missed that um and so uh, Paul's just trying to explain to them and remind them that no that that's that hasn't happened yet. And so he says right here in First uh, Thessalonians 4, verse 13, says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. I'm going to stop right there for a second. So, when it talks about right here, where it talks about um, those who have fallen asleep, um, that was a, a you know ancient Jewish idiom for you know those who have died. Um, and so when it talks about the fallen asleep, it's talking about a physical fallen asleep, mean meaning the body, um, because in um, in Cor- in First Corinthians, uh, Paul tells us that when we are away from the body, we are um, we are with Jesus. And so I'm going to see if I can maybe find that verse. Uh, okay, maybe later. Um, so anyways, Paul tells us that to be away from the body is to be in the presence of Jesus. And to be in the body is to be apart from Jesus. And so um, so what he's talking about here is basically those who died that died believing that Jesus was their Lord and Savior, that had accepted him, that had repented, um, you know, um, that's who he's talking about. Um, And so he says, uh, so he's basically saying, listen, don't worry, don't cry over these people um, the way that others who have no hope do. Um, And he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, um, 
then even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus, basically saying, hey, listen, when when Jesus returns, he's going to bring with him in spirit those who had have died already. And so you don't have to worry about them because, first of all, they're with Jesus because they're away from the body. They're not in the body. And so they're with Jesus. And when Jesus comes, he's going to come with them. So, you know, don't worry. And then he goes on to say, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So in this verse, he's saying, listen, um, so I'm telling you not, not because this is something that, I, that, you know, I'm, you know, picking up or anything like this is a direct word from the Lord. Like God told me this literally. And so Paul is saying, listen, um, and again, if you go back and read through Corinthians, you know, um, Paul did have a, a spiritual out of, bo- out of body experience where, um, you know, he was in, in a sense, he was raptured into heaven and he was shown things that some of which he doesn't even talk about. Well, he says that he doesn't even, you know, can't even talk about. Um, so he, you know, Paul was exposed to some things, some secrets. And so this was one of the mysteries. Um, so he says uh, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. It means that, listen, you know, when when the Lord returns, those of us who have not died physically yet, we, we're not going to go, you know, he's not going to take us before those who have died in the body before us. So um, that's why he says, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So, you know, there's a lot of people that say, listen, this this verse is not talking about the rapture. And the the specific word here that I'm going to get to is where it says, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Um, There are different translations of the Bible, um, specifically Latin where, it, where that's where we get the word rapture from. Because a lot of people will say, well, listen, the word rapture is not in the Bible, so that can't be bl- biblical. And, I mean, my response to that is, well, pedophilia is not in the Bible either. But we know that that's a sin. Um, you know, so um, the Trinity is not in the Bible either as a word. And so we still believe in the Holy Trinity. And so, why is that? It's because from the text, we can infer these things. So, um, when we're looking at this, um, caught up, or be, which is rapture, uh, it's a, uh, in, in Greek, the word harpazo, it means to be snatched away, to be immediately, like, kind of like when a kid uh, sees that another, another kid, let's say uh, you have a toddler, and, and they see another toddler with their toy and they just go walk up right up to them and just snatch their toy back. 
that's essentially that's what Jesus is going to do with his church, with his church bride. Um, now, interestingly enough, um, you know, people still argue that there is no rapture or that you know this happens later. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get into why there is a rapture, and and then uh, I'm gonna talk about why it happens before the tribulation, which is Jacob's trouble, which is a promise to Israel. Um, so if we go back, you know, and also this is interesting. Um, you know, Paul talks in first Corinthians, uh, 15, uh, verse 52, I think, um, Paul's talking about what happens in this, you know, when the rapture happens and it's, it's a beautiful thing. So I'm going to try and find it real quick for you guys but he talks about us getting our glorified bodies and he says let's see uh, all right so he says uh this is first corinthians 15 verse 50 he says now this i say brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god nor does corruption inherit incorruption behold i tell you a mystery he's like listen I'm about to tell you something that you don't know. <laughs> um, this is, uh, you know, brand new, breaking news, basically. Um, and he says, we shall not all sleep. And so this is where he's kind of breaking the, uh, hey, there's something special that's going to happen here. So we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this uh, corruptible must put on incorruptible and this mortal must put on immortality and so this is uh this, <laughs> this is beautiful because this is talking about the glorified bodies that we're going to get because when we go to heaven see only only perfected people can get into heaven but nobody is perfect and so you know that leaves many to wonder well how do we get to heaven and so this is a kind of sneak peek into that into how we get to heaven and how we are we are made perfect through jesus christ all right so um so yeah so um so because of that um you know, we're like, all right, well, Paul, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's false because Paul's the one that's making up this rapture story, this and that. He's the only one talking about it. But that's not true. Um, I'm going to take you guys to John 14. This is one of my favorite, favorite um, passages for the rapture. Um, it's actually uh, in the New Testament. It's actually Jesus uh, the first one to introduce the rapture. And uh, this is John 14. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 3 or 4. We'll see. All right. And it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So, in this verse, Jesus is, you know, kind of reminding the disciples about, you know, him having told them previously, like, listen, I'm going to go, like, I'm going to leave you guys. Like, don't think that we're just going to keep on preaching and spreading the gospel together right here, like side by side physically. I'm going to go away for a while, but don't worry because right now you don't know where I'm going, but where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And this is, this is also, this is going to kind of segue me into what the other thing I'm going to talk about. Um, but this, uh, uh, you know, Jesus is saying, uh, in my father's house are many mansions or many rooms. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there, you may also be. So where, I mean, where is Jesus? Jesus is at the right hand of the father. And so <laughs> this will become, uh, this verse will become a little bit more interesting. So right there, he's talking about, hey, listen, there's going to be a time where I'm going to come back for you. So don't worry. Like, that's my promise to you. My promise to you is that I'm going to come back for you and take you with me. Take you with me to, to my father's house, which is a beautiful place where, you know, as the, the father's house is heaven. And, and and where the father lives, there there's there's nothing. There's no sin. There's no um, uh, there's no pain. There's no hurt. There's no nothing. Like everything is perfect and beautiful, and and you're just in the joy and the presence of the Lord. And so it's an awesome place. Awesome place. So this is Jesus reminding them, like, hey, don't worry. I'll come back for you guys. I'm not gonna forget about you. I'm going to come, I'm going to take you so that where I am uh, in that time, where I am in that moment, um, you will also be. And so they find out later, uh, spoiler alert, they find out later that where Jesus is going to be, the place there that he's talking about in this verse, the place where he's going to take us um, is, you know, at the right hand of the Father. And so we're going to be with him and we're going to reign and we're going to, anyways, beautiful. I'm not going to get into all that stuff, but that's what Jesus is saying. And so you're like, well, okay, so Jesus said that, but that was, you know, maybe not enough or whatever. And you're like, well, where, where's he getting this stuff from? And uh, it's, it's funny because a lot of people don't realize it, but Jesus, he, the, you know, one of the reasons why we believe the entire Bible to be inerrant, to be the word of God, to have no mistakes. And, and when we say that, we mean contextually is because Jesus spoke like he spoke and he quoted from the Old Testament. So the fact that he did that tells us that he believed that the scripture um, was the word of God, was the truth, was fact. So uh, when he talks about the days of Noah and all that, you know, and the flood and anyways, he makes a lot of mentions in the old, uh, uh, of the old Testament and clarifies a lot of things for us as well. And so, uh, one of these verses, um, that talks about the rapture in the old Testament. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but the old Testament does mention, uh, or maybe not the rapture, but 
like post rapture stuff. It talks about post rapture stuff. Um, and this is Isaiah 26, and it's verses, I think, 19 through about 21. And and here's where he talks about this is talking about the talks about the resurrection here, actually. So it so it is about the rapture. And it says, Your dead shall live together with my dead body, they shall arise. This is the remember. Uh, those who are falling asleep will, you know, uh, we will not proceed. Those who are falling asleep, but those who are alive um, will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Remember, we just read that. And it says, together with my dead body, they shall arise, awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. And this is God's trumpet call. This is, this is uh the trumpet call of of uh, the archangel that God, when he descends and calls us, and he's saying, awake and sing, you who dwell in dust. That means you who are in your graves, you who are dead. Um, For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. What? <laughs> what does that mean? Um, so I, I, I got a little bit of those, um, the, um, thriller vibes, you know, from the Michael Jackson where, where the, uh, you know, the zombies start coming out of the graves. Um, it's not going to be like that, but, um, but I just got that picture. Um, and he says, for the dew is like the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead. That means, uh, those who have died are going to be resurrected. Um, and so then it says, uh, come, my people, enter your chambers. Remember, remember that mansion. Remember the rooms in the mansion that Jesus promised us, where He's like, "Hey, listen. Remember how I told you, in my Father's house are many mansions, and you know, if it were not so, why would I even tell you this? Like, when I come back for you, um, that's where I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you to my Father's house. And well, right here, He's talking about um the Father, you know. God is talking about his house. And he says, come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. So what's it talking about here? I mean, this is, I get, I'm getting chills just reading this. So this is God speaking. So immediately after, you know, uh, where Isaiah writes, your dead shall live together and they shall rise, awake and sing you who dwell in the dust. It's talking to the dead people. It's saying, for the dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. It's like it's like the dead's wake-up call. And this is what the wake-up call sounds like. In verse 20, come, my people, enter your chambers. You know, you guys haven't heard about this yet, because this was a couple hundred years before Jesus. And it's almost like, uh, I'm just doing the in-between-the-lines here. Come, my people, enter your chambers. Um, you might not know this, but later on, Jesus is going to talk about this, you know, about the, the mansions in my house and, you know, how he's going to come for you and take you so that where he is, 
you may also be. And so this is what it this is what it is. It says, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as if it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. What's the indignation? And so I I'm not gonna go <laughs> follow that. Um, maybe you know my sister and I can talk about it another time. But the indignation is the um, the debt that Israel owes to God. That's the indignation, the rejection, the off and on relationship that they've had with God. Um, you know, God promised them four hundred in the book of Daniel. God promises them four hundred and ninety years of that. 490 years. And so 483 years were fulfilled up until Jesus. After Jesus, they, they've kind of been just roaming the earth, roaming the earth, roaming the earth. Um, for those of you that don't know, Israel is the only country that has stopped, ceased to be a country. And then as it was written in the Bible, as it was prophesied, in one day, in one single day, Israel became a nation again. How did it happen? I don't know. And I believe in the same day or the day after Israel was attacked, they didn't even have an army yet. They barely had a government. And they were attacked. And <laughs> they still won somehow. I don't know. I'm not, uh, I don't know that part of the history so well. So, um, but look into it because, um, it, it's incredible. It's incredible what, um, what God does. So anyways, so, so right here, God is talking about that, the indignation. And so 483 years have been fulfilled prophetically for Israel, um, that, that they've paid 483 years of debt to God. Um, there's still seven years left. Uh, to, for them to hit the 490. And those seven years is the last, uh, or Daniel's 70th week. Um, it's also referred to as Jacob's trouble. Um, Jacob, because Jacob becomes Israel, and it's talking about the nation of Israel. So, um, their indignation, it's their tribulation. The, the wrath that's going to be poured on the earth for seven years is for Israel. But, because... Um, the Gentiles have been adopted under Israel, uh, then it is also, the tribulation is also for anyone else that rejects Jesus. So, um, so yeah, so in contrast, those of us who accept Jesus, we will not suffer the tribulation. So this is, this is what this is also telling me is that, listen, God is saying, listen, you, I'm going to come get you guys. Um, I'm going to call you to enter your chambers and shut the doors behind you so that, you know, you, you can hide yourself under my protection for a little moment. And that little moment, he ex it explains here in the next sentence until the indignation has passed. So we know that that little moment is one week, one prophetic week, which is seven years, um, seven earthly years. And so says, for behold, the Lord comes out of his place. Who's the Lord? The Lord, Jesus Christ, comes out of his place to punish. What is his place? The right hand of the Father on the throne in heaven. 
to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. It means that there's going to be so much death that there's going to be bodies everywhere, but also those who have died before are not going to be here. So those who have been um, killed, uh, slain, martyred, they're, they're going to be out of here. And this is pre-tribulation. There's still, there's still the tribulation saints which are going to get killed. Those get resurrected at the end of the tribulation. Um, so I won't get into that. But this is right now, this is pre-tribulation. This is rapture talk. And so this is, um, you know, this is an Isaiah, Isaiah 26, 19 to 21. Um, and so, so that tells me that's confirming, corroborating what Jesus was saying about the mansions in, the, in his father's house of, of him going to prepare a place. And so because Jesus refers to us as his bride, um, you know, it's like if you think of the, of a wedding, right? Which, which husband is going to beat up his bride before the wedding? No husband's going to do that, right? Who's going to want to marry him after that? So the tribulation is God's wrath on everyone. And so I'm going to go to, let me see if I have it here. Uh, I don't have it. Uh, yeah, give me a second. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you guys real quick about the um, the um, the relevance of the wedding talk and and all of that and uh, and why it is important to understand to understand um, what the significance of the references that Jesus was making um, and so when when Jesus talked about the wedding, you have to think, all right, and this is how you start, you interpret scripture. You have to think about the context and what he was saying, who he was talking to. He was talking to his disciples and his disciples were all Galilean. And think of it this way. It's like, if you're from, if you're from New York and you're going to tell a New York joke, probably people from Kansas or from Texas or Florida might not get it. People who've never been to New York or exposed to that culture, they might not get it. So, because they're missing context. And so, we've been missing context for so long, but um, we've discovered recently how um, ancient Galilean weddings occur. And so when we look at the ancient Galilean wedding, we can see that it, it foreshadows the biblical rapture and marriage feast of the Lamb. So, so again, so the rapture is foreshadowed by, by this wedding tradition. And, you know, according to a Lifeway research, 36% of Christians believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. That means rapture before the tribulation. 4% believe that it's going to happen sometime in the middle. That's when the rapture happens. 19% believe it happens after the tribulation at the end. And then 13% have other views of the rapture. And then 4% of Christians are not sure. 
and 25% of Christians believe there is no literal there is no literal rapture. So they don't believe a rapture um, will happen. And so to me, that's very sad because it's also very clear to me in Scripture that there is going to be a rapture. Now, <laughs> you guys are welcome to stay and, uh, you know, suffer the wrath of God. But, I, I'm, you know, first of all, God has not promised that. He's promised that he's going to call me um, to hide in, you know, one of my chamber, in my chamber for a little bit while the indignation, while the punishment and his wrath is poured on the earth. And so, you know, that's what I'm, that's my hope. The other thing too, that I forgot to mention is that Paul ends Thessalonians chapter four there, first uh, Thessalonians chapter four, he ends it with, listen, this is what's going to happen. Jesus is going to come back. We're going to be caught up with him. Encourage each other with these words. If there wasn't going to be a rapture, why would he say encourage each other with these words? It's like, listen, Jesus hasn't come back yet. You know, you're going to go through the indignation first. So encourage yourself, <laughs> encourage each other with these words, because after you go through the wrath of God, after you go through all that suffering and all that horrible stuff that's going to happen, um, that the earth is going to literally be like the, the world will literally be ending and it's going to be the bible says it's going to be um the the it's going to be so horrible that it's going to be like the world has never seen it's going to be a time like the world has never seen that's pretty bad the world has seen some pretty bad stuff so think about that so i'm just going to talk about the um the galilean wedding um just kind of touch on the points. I don't know if I'll get into all of them because again, I'll be here forever. But um it starts it starts with the betrothal. And so during this time in ancient uh times, uh, a wedding was the biggest event in town for anyone. So everyone would just, you know, uh gather around uh and have the betrothal at the main gate. Now, whether you invite you were invited or not, everyone would participate and everyone who knew when it was happening and was prepared would participate the bride would receive the covenant or proposal and after that they exchange gifts the groom offers the bride what's called a cup of joy this is interesting a cup of joy the bride then has the power to accept or reject the offer of the groom and the bride would need to drink from the cup uh to the, the cup of joy in order for the betrothal to progress. And so then after that, the groom would actually seal it with these words. And he would say, you are now consecrated to me by the laws of Moses. And I will not drink from this cup again until I drink it with you in my father's house. Wow, that's powerful. Because if you if you recall, if you read through the through the gospels, you'll notice I don't remember where, but Jesus at the Last Supper tells the disciples this very thing. He says, I will not drink from this cup again until I drink it with you in my father's house. Wow, it gives me chills. So and the, oh here it is. It's John 13. Sorry. John 13. Um that's where I believe that happens. So 
this is after the disciples drink from the cup in Matthew 20. Oh, Matthew 26, 29, Jesus said uh, similar words. He says, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day that I drink it with you in my father's kingdom. So this cup that was given to his disciples represents the new covenant. And he talks, Jesus talks about that. And, uh, you know, he talks about how he would pour out his blood and propose an engagement by pouring and drinking the wine and giving it to his disciples. And that was the last supper that Jesus uh, spoke as, um, as the bridegroom. And so just as like the ancient Galilean wedding, the bride is sealed and the betrothal happens by taking the cup of joy. And so now we partake in the new covenant that Jesus gave to us by partaking in communion as in remembrance of the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. And so now the groom must leave the betrothed until the day of that the wedding is consummated. So the groom prepares a new place. So in ancient Galilean wedding tradition, the groom will then have to leave the bride and go to the father's house. In the upcoming months, the groom will then add a room to, the fa- to his father's house, preparing a place for the bride. New furniture, tables, stools, etc. And he'll prepare the wedding feast with oil, lamps, and rugs, and it will take place in a new home. You know, this is all going to take place in the new home. And then Jesus <laughs> warns the disciples in John 14, 3. He says, Jesus warns them um, that his crucifixion is going to happen and that he would have to leave them. But he gives them a beautiful assurance that the that the same the same one that the that the groom gives the bride during the ancient wedding, and he and he says it in John fourteen three. He says, and, and I read this at the beginning. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Oh man, it's beautiful. Praise God. So Jesus states that he's going to return for his bride. He's going to return to take her. So. Uh, where he is, we will also be. And this introduces the doctrine of the rapture, um, like I talked about earlier, that he's going to return for his bride. And he promises that he will return for his bride, the the church. And so he tells his bride that there will be those on earth that will not taste death. But until the bride is reunited with the groom, much has to take place. So the bride has to prepare for the hour of the coming of the groom. And so, uh, you know, this includes material fabric that she has to buy for the wedding dress. And so she takes lots of time. You know, this is stuff that would take lots of time, you know, back in the first century. And so the bride is also to be pure and vigilant as she is waiting for the groom, regardless of how long it takes for his return. Now, here's another interesting point. The groom does not know the day or the hour of the wedding feast or the wedding uh, celebration. So neither the groom nor the bride, they, they, back then they didn't know the day or the hour of the wedding and when it would take place. The bride, however, always had to be ready. And this seemed a little bit bizarre, um, but it's part of the ancient Galilean wedding tradition. So no one in the entire town knew when the wedding would take place, except for one single person. You guys guess who that was or who that is? It's the father of the bridegroom. So back in those days, uh, that's what, you know, the Galilean weddings had these customs. So to them, it was a surprise wedding. The father makes the announcement 
the day and the hour. Son, go and get your bride. That that's when that's when you, you find out. So the father makes the final inspection, make sure that everything's ready for the bride, and only he knows the day or the hour. And so Jesus tells us, no one knows the day or the hour in Matthew twenty three thirty six. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. So the bride and the groom are they're yearning for their uh, union, but they have to wait for the Father's call. They don't know when that's going to happen. And so um, our task is not really to be focused on his return, but to consider the preparations for the return uh, of the groom for the church. We are always to be ready, vigilant, and pure. And so when the Bible talks about, you know, uh, being watchful and paying attention to the signs and this and that, it doesn't mean like get so lost and caught up in idolizing the return that you take your focus off of Jesus and you stop doing the work that God calls you to do. So again, that's another just tidbit that I just picked up here. Um, for you guys to keep in mind. And so we'll keep moving on. So so the groom returns in the middle of the night. So in ancient Galilee wedding tradition, um, scholars have found that the hour of the wedding would be in the middle of the night. And this is why they need oil in their lamps to always be lit. And so that way the bride and the bridesmaids are to be dressed and ready. And uh, then the, the groom would come for his bride in the night. And so the conditions for the bride was to always be pure and to sleep in her wedding dress, and her bridesmaids were to help her out when the groom comes unexpectedly and at, at, at an hour that they did not know. And so they were always to be ready. This is what scripture calls us to, to do and be ready for Christ. So Jesus said also that his return is going to be as a thief in the night. And so he warns us about this uh, and to be ready for his second coming. In Thessalonians 5, 1 through 2. Just as the bride, we are to not fall asleep. And this is um, spiritually, as others do. But to be pure and ready at all times because the groom will appear at any moment. So, in the context here, falling asleep is not talking about actually dying. It's talking about spiritually. Don't be asleep in the spirit because you're going to get caught off guard. So, all right, so back to the bride. So the bride is to be ready. And so back then in the, in the Galilean wedding tradition, the father makes the decision. So he wakes the grooms up and the groomsman says, go get your bride. Now is the time. And so this is exciting because he can't wait. He's been waiting for this day. So guess what he does? He gets his shofar. Shofar is just a, a word for trumpet or a Jewish trumpet. And so he blows the shofar and blasts it to wake up the whole village. And so this bride and, and her bridesmaids wake up and execute their preparedness. And so uh, um, they wake up uh, the bride and the town. And so a bunch of they start making noise. And so in, in preparation and only those who are willing uh, or prepared will attend the wedding. So after a year of waiting and preparing, the bride and the groom are finally together, reunited forever. And the bride is then carried in a litter to the groom's house. <laughs> Listen to this. <laughs> the bride. <laughs> oh, man, this is just it gives me chills. The bride is lifted into the air. 
off of the ground and it's taken and escorted back to the father's house. All she has to do is be ready. Oh, praise God. So there's also a, a parable in scripture about the um, 10 bridesmaids at night who had, you know, some of them had their lamps full and some of them didn't. And so the 10 bridesmaids in the night, um, they prepared with the oil in their lamps waiting for the arrival of the groom. All 10 uh, get up, but only five have enough oil. And so the oil that represents the Holy Spirit is what the being asleep in the spirit means. It means you didn't have oil in your lamp, so you weren't ready. And so um, a lot of theologians refer to the 10 bridesmaids, uh, to, of the 10 bridesmaids to Israel during the Great Tribulation. Some Jews are saved and some Jews will not be saved. However, for this parable, we can see that it can refer to the church. So the groom appears and finds some believers being born again and some are not. <clears throat> and so it says here, let's see. So, all right. So the paradox of, of the return of the groom in ancient Galilean wedding is the same way Jesus returns for his bride unexpectedly and the bride has to be ready. So some may be left behind because they were not ready. And the same way as the bride is escorted to the father's hours in the ancient Galilean wedding, the same way the church will be lifted up and escorted to the father's house in the clouds when we get caught up. So, um, so all we had to do is be pure, ready for the return of the groom, Jesus Christ. And so then we go off to the marriage supper. And so in the father's house in ancient Galilean wedding is where the marriage supper takes place in the father's mansions, you know, in the, in the father's house where there are many mansions, the supper takes place. And um, with all that have heard and beckoned to the call in the darkness of night. And so um, many will be left behind. And the door will be shut out um, in front of them uh, for the feast. And if you're, you know, in the wedding tradition, ancient Galilean wedding tradition, if you were locked out, there was no getting in. In the same way, nobody that was in could get out. Once that door was locked, it was done. And so for the marriage supper of the lamb, everything on earth is a foreshadow of what is to come. We are chosen as the bride of Jesus Christ. We are meant to dwell with him for eternity. The father's house and the Galilean wedding is the perfect picture of heaven. The groom gathers his bride, brings her to the father's house for the marriage supper of the lamb. Married forever, uh, many will be left behind in the rapture and will be shut out from the marriage supper and destined to God's wrath on the world. Therefore, take heed. Be pure and be ready for the coming of the Lord. Maranatha, which means come Lord Jesus. And so this is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful image. And so real quick, um, I'm going to read, I'm going to close with this, but I'm going to read uh, the marriage supper of the lamb in Revelation 19, where um, this is additional um, uh, scriptural evidence that tells us that the church the bride will not be part of the tribulation okay and i'm going to i'm going to probably read most if not all of the chapter of 19 because i need you guys to really understand the context of this and get the big picture of you know us being in heaven and being part of the of the marriage supper of the lamb of the wedding feast 
And just think about this. You can't have the wedding feast or the wedding celebration without the bride, right? All right. So I'm going to read Revelation 19. Um, feel free to follow along also. Uh, After these things, I heard a loud, and this is John talking. Um, just for those of you that haven't heard the story, this is the book of Revelation was written by John. And so this was also a, a revelation, a um, out-of-body experience where he was pulled up into heaven. Um, Jesus spoke to him directly. Um, and, you know, he pretty much, this is, <laughs> this is the, um, I guess you could say this is the script or the spoiler for how the end of time, the end of the world is going to happen. Again, um, it's, it's a horrible thought for anybody that doesn't know Jesus, but it's it's wonderful and beautiful. Uh, it's a beautiful hope for those of us that, that do have a relationship with Jesus. So, sorry, here goes. After these things, I heard a loud voice of the great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever, and the twenty-four elders and the four living, cre and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. Now, before I continue, th th this is a lot. This is a lot. Like I could spend a whole hour probably just talking about what I just read, which was only five verses. But, because there's a lot of, of, um, uh, I can't think of the word. There's a, there's a lot of stuff to talk about because, um, you know, we're talking about 24 elders. We're talking about four living creatures. Um, we're talking about the harlot, the great harlot who corrupted the earth. And so those all have, there's a significance for each one of those things. For example, the 24 churches is Israel and, um, or the, um, sorry, the, the forefathers of the Old Testament and the forefathers of the New Testament, the apostles, and then the old prophets, Moses and all of those guys. Um, and so ba they basically represent, um, the, the Jewish, uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. That's pretty much what they represent. Um, and then there's there's other things that um, that they represent, but again, it's a lot to get into. But I'm not gonna cover any of that. I just want you guys to understand, um, you know, the context of of chapter 19. And so I'll I'll continue. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, "Hallelujah! For the Lord God omnipotent reigns." Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. That means the marriage happened. Hey, it's it's here. And his wife has made herself ready. Oh, man, this is powerful. I'm sorry. Um, and to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. 
for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. There go your glorified bodies, brothers and sisters. That's, that's what that's talking about right there. We have our glorified bodies. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So right there, John was having a moment with an angel and he thought it was God. And that's why he kind of, you know, um, got on his knees to worship. And the angel's like, no, nah, no, nah, you can't do that because I'm not God. Worship God. Don't worship me. Um, and just here's another uh, little tidbit for you guys that go reading into the Old Testament. When, whenever it's an angel, an actual angel, um, th they always say, don't worship me. Stand up. Don't worship me. Worship God. When you hear or you read about the angel of God and they get down to worship, typically that angel of God puts his hand on their shoulder and says, do not fear and never says, don't worship me. So that tells us that that's not actually an angel, that that's, that's the spirit of Jesus. And so, um, yeah, that, that will change how you read those, uh, those verses from now on, if you didn't know that. All right. So verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. So right now we're going, we're transitioning from the marriage supper. Like that's, that's fun. We're having a good time. And now we're transitioning. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. Faithful and true. Okay. Remember someone that said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life in uh, John 14, 6. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Remember John 1.1? 1, 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on, and the Word became flesh. Yeah, that's Jesus. All right. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Who, who's this army? That's all the saints, baby. All right. So all the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, which we, we uh, read earlier in verse 8. And it says, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. All right. So. So basically, there's going to be a bunch of us uh, coming down with Jesus and says, all right, let me go back. He had a, a name written. All right, he was clothed with a white robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Oh, yeah, we're going to get we're going to get white horses, people. All right. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it, he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them. With a rod of iron, he himself treads the winepress and the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written that says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he carried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, of yeah, of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. That is the end of chapter 19. So, real real quick summary. Chapter 19 talks about, um, you know, hey, the wife is ready, uh, the bride is ready, uh, she's welcome to the marriage supper of the lamb, um, and she's dressed in fine linens. And then, after the marriage supper, Jesus comes out in a white horse, and he's got a robe that's dipped in blood, and he's got his name written on his thighs, and you know, and and then um, and then it says that his armies, who are also dressed in white linen, which of course represents us as well, um, the church and and everybody who has died in Christ, we are going to have our own horses, and we're going to be riding behind Jesus coming down to earth, and he is going to pour his wrath on the earth. And this is specifically talking about um, the the last three and a half years of the tribulation. So the rapture has already happened, and now um, you know, we have celebrated, and now we come down with Jesus, and we put an end. Excuse me, and uh, he puts an end to to you know to sin. And so then, after that, then the Millennium Kingdoms, with the Millennium Kingdom, which I won't talk about today, um, but also wonderful to to look at and read. So, so guys, so I'm gonna stop here. I've been talking for a long time. I don't know how long, but I feel like I've been talking for a long time. And so, um, I'll just leave you with this. You know, it's whether you believe the rapture is happening or not. We know one thing: Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back soon. And so all the things that we look at around the entire world that are happening, yes, they've always happened, but they've never happened all at one time. And so this convergence of all these things happening at one time are the birth pains. These are the birth pains that Matthew 24 talks about. The wars, the rumors of wars. If you read Ezekiel 30, uh, 38 and 39, you'll see how relevant everything that's going on with Russia and Ukraine and Israel and the Middle East, how how that's all relevant to Ezekiel 38 and 39 and how we're getting ready for that. Now, my personal thoughts on the matter is, uh, in terms of sequence of events, is that the rapture is going to happen and then either simultaneously or subsequently to the rapture or with the rapture, the the war is going to break out where um you know russia and all the muslim countries will come down and attack israel my theory is they're going to see israel doing well when the the rest of the world is not doing well and they're going to want to take 
and plunder the land for themselves and and take their resources. Um, so how close are we to that happening? I don't know, but from where I'm standing or or sitting, uh, it looks like the you know it's the stage is being set for that. It's it's gonna happen. Like it's it looks like it could happen at any moment. And if the that the the war, if that war can happen at any moment, that means the rapture will have to happen, like I said, either at the same time or before. Now, why do I say that? Because if you read Ezekiel 39, it talks about when God himself comes down to protect Israel when it's being attacked. Um, nothing's going to happen to Israel. It's going to be a supernatural uh, thing that happens where Israel is not going to be harmed and everything that they shoot and fire at Israel is going to fall back on those uh, enemies of Israel. And it's going to kill so many people. Ezekiel 39 says that they will be burying bodies for five months, I think it says. Five or seven months. I think it's five. And so they're, if they're going to be burying bodies for that many months, let's just say it's five. Uh, that's a lot, a lot of death. And so for that to happen, there's no way that the church being here will not see that and recognize that this is literally, this is God acting in real like real time um like in in a in a tangible sense i guess uh you could say where you're like man that's incredible and so um you know i guess i don't i don't know what's going to happen in terms of you know people walking away and turning to god during that time i just know that the church we won't be here and so that's how i think that's going to happen now my other my other theory and thought it, thought process on this is the the seven year tribulation when the church goes to to the marriage supper of the lamb remember the galilean i don't know if i mentioned this but the traditional galilean wedding uh festivities lasted for 7 days okay 7 days that means that if all of that aligns with what's going to happen with with the with the church bride that means we're going to be 7 days in festivities but we're going to be in heaven so because we're going to be in heaven my theory is that time is different up there, right? Because we're we're no longer going to be part of the space-time continuum on Earth. Um, time will move differently, and so you know, Peter says that for God, one day is like a thousand years. For you know, for God, one day is like a thousand years for us. And so, because time is different up there, that's why I believe that the seven days that we're going to spend in festivities for us is seven days, but for the Earth. It will have been seven years. And so that's how I think it's going to happen. Now, I guess I reserve the right to change my mind if it doesn't happen that way. But either way, I'm going to be with Jesus and nothing else will matter. So um, I hope that this got, this helped you guys. Um, I don't know. Uh, people don't like to talk about this sometimes because um, it, it starts up arguing arguments and and people just don't know how to dialogue, but just remember First Peter 3.15, do it with gentleness and respect. Glorify God. Be prepared when asked to give a, a reason and defend a reason for the hope that is in you. And that's not just talking about doing it with non-believers. It's also within the church doing it with believers because we, we do hold you know different positions on these secondary issues. But let's do it. Let's do it with gentleness and with respect. And so, again, um, I just want to add that the reason that 
I don't believe that the rapture could happen during the middle or or at the end is because it doesn't make sense for many, many reasons. Um, in fact, maybe I'll read this last verse before we go. Um, in First Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, I think verse 10, let me see. Um, here, uh, Paul is saying, for God, uh, verse 9, for God did not appoint us. Uh, let me do from verse, uh, okay, from verse 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that wherever we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, he says again, comfort each other uh, and edify each one another, just as you are also doing. So, so again, um, you know, that's the that's another verse where um where we understand that God did not appoint us uh to wrath. And so so I again, I believe I believe that uh that the rapture is going to happen and I can't I can't wait for that. I really I really can't wait for that. Um let me see maybe there was another one around here. Uh similar no all right so so i'll leave you guys with that um oh revelation 3 chapter 3 verse 10 it says because you have kept my command to persevere i will also keep you from the hour of the trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on earth again it's very hard for me to believe that first of all that the hardest thing for me to believe is that the rapture doesn't happen then it's that the rapture happens in the middle and that the rapture happens at the end um for again for the reasons that i explained if the rapture let me put it this way if the rapture does not happen before the tribulation then someone has to explain to me all the references that jesus made to traditional ancient galilean weddings Somebody needs a better explanation than the one I gave um, on this episode. Like, I need a better explanation. And I need to also understand how that seven-day uh, wedding feast in the Galilean wedding does not translate to the seven-year tribulation in one way, shape, or form, at least in the theory that I mentioned. Uh, to me, that makes sense. And so I don't know. I don't know a better explanation for that. I don't know a better explanation for Daniel's 70th week, the, the tribulation seven-year period, and the correlation with the ancient Galilean wedding. Like, to me, that's that's like, that seals the deal for me. Um, so, again, I would need a better better explanation for those references that Jesus made because we understand that God is intentional. Anyways, I'll stop here because if not, I will keep on talking. So. Um, don't forget to uh, check us out. Go find us at ChristAlonePodcast.com. All of our handles are ChristAlonePodcast, except for Twitter, which is ChristAlonePod. 
Our phone number is 407-749. No, take that back. 407-796-2881. 407-796-2881. Make sure uh, if you give us a call that, and you leave a voicemail, make sure it's under three minutes. Um, if not, you'll have to call back um, or text us. And uh, we'll be happy to to answer your text and and call, pray for you. You know, call um te- call or text us for prayer requests, uh, topic suggestions, um, or or uh, let's see, what's the other thing I always say? I don't know. Anyways, uh, that's our contact information. Uh, I apologize, but my my throat is really dry because I've been talking so much and I didn't bring water with me. So, God bless you guys. Um, uh, our hope, um, as usual, is that you know you are equipped, encouraged um, to remain in the Lord, to grow in the Lord, and to share the gospel with with somebody. Um, so um, that's it. I hope uh, I hope that you guys got something out of this, and uh, I'll see you uh, on the next episode. God bless. Yeah.